talk real quickly about how grace empowers repentance. Would you say that with me? Grace empowers repentance. <laughs> this is in Acts chapter 17. So we're going to open to Acts chapter 17, verse 22 through 31. I'm going to read that. Acts 17, verse 22 through 31. And then right after that, we're going to read Romans 12, 1 and 2, which you'll probably know that one by heart or at least recognize it. But Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 22. <clears throat> and this is Paul, and he's speaking, and he's <laughs> at Mars Hill. He's speaking here, and he says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So he's saying, you're very religious. It's almost like what the Old Testament says that, uh, that they would worship when Jesus was quoting the Old Testament to the woman at the well and says, your fathers worship what they don't know, but you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. Well, he's telling them you're very religious, you're very spiritual, but you're worshiping an unknown God and you've even offered a sacrifice to this unknown God. But I'm going to tell you right now who he is. And he says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing <laughs> him, I proclaim to you. His name is God, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything from us. Woo. Because he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should what? Everyone say that. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. He's saying God did all of this. He made a whole uh, na nations, uh, people all over the earth and made all of these nations that they would seek him and he put breath inside of them that they would seek after him and that as they seek that they would grope around and that they might would find him. Come on. Though he is not, I love this, though he is not far from each one of us and then we know this, for in him we live and move and have our being and he says, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Come on. They didn't know who they were worshiping, yet they knew they were his offspring. Yeah. And he's saying, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art or man's ideas or devising. He's saying that God is not made from stone from gold, from silver. He's not an artifact that man has fashioned and created. He stands alone by himself. He goes, and, and some of you may recognize this in a different translation. It says, truly these times of ignorance God once overlooked. Other translations say once God winked at man's ignorance. But then it says this, but now he commands all men. Would you read this with me? But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Or say repent. repent. 
because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of all this by raising him from the dead. So his guarantee that all the things he said are going to happen was Jesus rose from the dead. Everyone say amen to that. And then you know this one, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed. Why don't you read this part with me? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And Lord, I ask that you would add your blessing to this time. Repentance. Once God winked at man's ignorance, but now he calls all to repentance. And I just want to give a quick outline of the word repentance and just simple little thing here that will help us remember it. And then we're going to dive into a, a, a deeper version of this story. All right. What is repentance? Well, first of all, the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So we feel sorrow and it leads us to repentance. How many have ever felt that before? Like you did something or missed the mark and you felt it deep in your, the deepest part. And you're like, oh, I felt that, Lord. I missed it. Right? That godly sorrow brings us to cry out for a savior. So we need to feel that godly sorrow. But then something else needs to go with it for it to be repentance. We need to turn. So we're turning from something to something. Right? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I'll heal and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Amen. So we feel godly sorrow. We turn from something that's not right to him. And then we change. You've heard this so many times. Repentance has changed the way you think. It really means to be transformed. But what we've done in the church is we've taken repentance and we've castrated it and we've if we made it confession. We've made it confession. And there is a big difference between confession and repentance. They're not the same thing. Confession is involved in that godly sorrow process of me admitting and seeing my mistakes. But confession is not the act of repentance. See, when, when Levi, when, when little Levi does something wrong and he starts to cry and throw his little fit, I don't want his tears. <laughs> I just want you to do what I ask you to do. Like none of that does anything for me. It's the same with us. Oh God, I'm so sorry that I did this thing. And we, we, we try to beat ourselves up and make ourselves low. It's false humility. We beat ourselves up and try to make ourselves low and feel. So we, if I feel bad enough, God will forgive me. God's not interested in us feeling bad. He's interested in us turning. And confession has crept into the church and replaced repentance to where I'll say this at the end. I don't know how often I've actually repented from something. I've confessed a lot of things. It's the same with others. So with God, with others, man, if I, if I hurt my wife's feelings and I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry I did this. She's like, but you've done it a hundred times. I know, babe, but I'm really sorry. She doesn't care about my sorry. <laughs> right? She wants me not to hurt her next time. Because repentance is the goal. But confession isn't looking for the root problem. Confession, all it does is it highlights that we made a huge mess. Now, let me say this. At the end of service, this, I heard this sermon, I don't know, three or four years ago, a version of this sermon from Danny Silk. 
And he wrote a book called Unpunishable. And that's what I'm wading into today because I, I, I feel like there's something in this for us as a church right now in this very season. Last week we talked about grace and I felt like this was the week to talk about this. I have 10 books for anyone that wants it at the end of service of unpunishable, okay? Because the church has fallen in love with confession and punishment and we've fallen out of love in repentance and transformation. So we look like the world because all we ever do is say we're sorry for the thing, but we never get to the root problem. So we never really change. So we're in the world, but we look just like the world. We don't have anything that separates us from the world. When we tell the world, hey, we have the answers to your solutions, they look at us and laugh. And they say, physician, heal yourself. But repentance is the only thing that actually brings change. Confessing doesn't identify the problem. All it does is say, yeah, there's a mess. I've made a mess. There's the mess. I confess. Yep, I did that. I spilt it. But confession doesn't mean it will actually even change. We were having this talk. How many have been married for quite a while? How many of some of the same battles have been in the marriage since day one? <laughs> they just kind of cycle through. And, and, and then how many men in the room, because this probably happens for us more, um, our wives would be like, I bet, I've said that to you like 60,000 times. How come all of a sudden it clicked through your brain? <laughs> because the Lord brought me to a place of repentance. Yeah, come on. Because I can't compel my wife to repentance. I can, I can bring light, I can do whatever, but I can't actually cause someone to long for repentance in their heart. Only God can do that, right? And so we were having this talk, I was like, well, we, we've had this, I mean, we've been almost, almost 20 years married, and I'm like, yeah, some of the same things keep coming up. And then she's like, well, then how come all of a sudden one day you just changed? I'm like, because I actually repented. Like, repentance happened, right? Repentance will cause us to actually change. But when we confess and we feel we confess because we feel sorry and we feel guilty and the guilt that we often feel is not because we are actually sorry for the problem. We're sorry we got caught or we're sorry that we're about to be punished for what we did. So let me let me take it back to Levi is going to love this years from now if he ever listens back to dad's messages. And here's, you know, my my parents did this to me. And I was like, oh, God, dad's using me as an example again. I'm I'm leaving you alone with the eyes and Josiah. I'm going to pick on Levi a little bit. He doesn't know. So Levi will come in and he'll he'll feel really sorry for something he did. And he's like, am I going to get a spanking? Am I going to get time out? Am I going to whatever, whatever? I'm like, you're worried about what you see as punishment. I was like, but you don't feel sorry for what you did. You're actually afraid of the punishment. I was like, because if you really felt sorry, you would have come in here and said, Dad, I'm so sorry. You told me not to do this thing, but I did it anyway. And I'm so sorry I did that to you. Instead, he comes and says, Dad, I broke this thing you told me not to play with. But real repentance is, I'm sorry that I disobeyed you. See, confession doesn't get us to that point because confession needs us to feel sorry and feel guilty, right? Because confession's goal is to punish someone. The goal of confession is for there to be punishment. And guilt and shame are required for us to be punished because until you feel guilty and and ashamed enough, then you haven't been really punished, right? Right? You're following with us? Confession kicks this cycle of punishment. Let's use the police for example. What do the police want? They want a written confession. 
They want you to say it. They want to record it. They want to get people on film saying that they did this wrong thing. Why? Because as soon as they confess that they did it, there's a law that tells what the punishment is for the thing they confess to. So they can say, oh, we got it. They're out of the room. And once they get the confession, they don't talk to them anymore. You know, they try to buddy. You watch the shows. They, they bring them coffee and they buddy up. They try to tell the stories and do the, you know, create this camaraderie. But once they get the confession, they're out of the room because they got what they needed. Because there already is a law that tells what the punishment is for their confession. And we've got that in the church. We just want people to confess to what they did wrong so we can put them in timeout for the appropriate amount of time. They can feel guilty for it. And then once we feel that they've su suffered enough and they've been punished enough, then we'll let them out of timeout. But we're going to watch them and put them on probation because, you know, we need to know where they're at. They're going to need to wear an ankle monitor so that we can make sure that they don't do this thing again because they're not safe. But after a certain amount of time where I'm not afraid of them anymore, then we loosen the restrictions and they're no longer on house arrest. And that is what we've done in the church. And I'm afraid that many of the times we think we've confessed and repented of our sin before God, that we've just done the first part and we didn't finish it. Because yeah. repentance goes further. Amen? Repentance goes quite a bit further, actually. Repentance requires change. Amen? Amen. Repentance is a gift from God. It is a response to him. Did you know that, that I can't just one day decide, hmm, I'm going to repent? Yeah. Why not? Because I can only repent when the Lord's Spirit draws me. It says it right there in John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So, so that's why when people are like, oh, I'm going to live my wild oats, I'm going to do my thing, and then I'm going to turn to the Lord. Good luck. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, there's a really sad story. I'm not going to read it, but it's in, in uh, let's see here, in Hebrews chapter 12. It's retelling the story of Esau. How many remember Jacob and Esau? They were twins. They were fighting for inside the womb. They were fighting over the birthright. And Jacob was the deceiver and the trickster. And he tricked Esau out of his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And Esau sold his inheritance, his birthright, to Jacob for some soup because he was hungry. And then Hebrews 12 says that don't be a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Because he found no place of repentance, even though he sought for it with tears. Wow. That tells me that I can't just work up tears and emotion and sorrow and pity and all the stuff that I feel and actually repent before God. I actually can only come before God and repent when he invites me into repentance. And when he invites me into repentance, I need to accept the invitation. Confession can happen anytime. I can work up the drama, the emotions. I can actually even feel bad for the thing that I did. But I can't bring myself into a relationship with Jesus and make things right. He has to draw me. Repentance is a response. It is a gift. Listen to me. Repentance is a gift from God. When God calls us, for some, calls us out on something or brings us an opportunity to make things right and to repent, it is his grace. It is his grace and it is a gift. 
Because repentance will come in and it will identify the root problem. Everyone say root problem. What's the root problem? All right, here we go. Here's the root problem. So the Holy Spirit will ask us, what could make someone so wonderful and beautiful and amazing as you do something so crazy, so deceptive, so wrong? How could you... How could you violate all of the good boundaries that the Lord has put around you to do this stupid thing? You're smarter than that, right? I hated it when I was young and my dad would be like, Jared, how could someone so smart do something so dumb? I don't know if that's the best way to word it. I didn't probably take it very well, but man, like I remember it. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will come in and say, what would cause you to do this? And here's what happens. I try to act like God. This is the root problem. I think I'm God. I think that I get to make up the rules. I get to decide what our family does. I'm the decision maker, right? I get to decide what's okay and not okay in my life. I get to make up the rules. This is the root problem with all of humanity. We think we get to make up the rules. I get to define truth. Oh, you just speak your truth, girl. There is no your truth, their truth, our truth. It's God. There's truth. It's eternal. It's always been. Amen? But what do we do now? Oh, just speak your truth. We think we get to define truth. We think that we're God and get to make up the rules and define what truth is. We think that we can be isolated and alone and be okay. Oh, we got this. I alone with God can make everything wonderful in my life. That's the craziest thing. How many of you ever tried it? It doesn't work. We were not meant to be alone. No one can correct me. Who do you, you get your house in order, or as Jordan Peterson says, you make your own bed first. Clean your own room, and then you get, like we get that attitude, am I right? Like you do your own thing first. I do whatever I want to do. So when the Holy Spirit's like, how could you do something so stupid? We start thinking, oh, it's probably because I don't submit to anyone and I do whatever I want, whenever I want. And whenever I feel like it, I'll I'll clean up my mess. Or whenever I feel like it, I'll change. Or whenever I feel like it, I'll, I'll say that I'm sorry. Or whenever I feel like it, I'll treat you the way you deserve to be treated. But I get to decide on my terms. I'm the Lord of my life. And this is the problem that confession doesn't fix. Only repentance can do this because repentance says, I can't fix any of this. I need a savior. And I love how Danny Silk does this really well. You should go and listen to his sermon on this. He talks about the garden and how God put two trees in the garden. And then he gave them one rule. Why only one rule? And they blew it, right? I mean, one rule and they blew it. And what was the rule? Don't eat of this tree. You can eat of everything else, but not this one. Why did he just give them one rule? Danny says it like this, and I'm just going to say it. Because he wanted us to know that we had a ruler, and it wasn't us. He made one rule so that he could be the ruler. Yet we live, and we think that we can do our own thing in our own time, and then whenever we're ready, we'll run to Jesus, and and everything will be okay. It's not guaranteed to us. You saw it with with Judas as well. He wept. 
And there was no repentance to be found for Judas when he betrayed Christ because we don't get to decide when we run to him. We only come to him when his spirit draws us and repentance will identify the problem. It will define who the owner of that problem is, which is us. And then it will empower us to clean up our mess, right? Everyone still good? But what we've done, the mess that we've made in the church is that if we think if we can get people to just confess their sins, then we'll all be okay. And I would, I'll be honest and say this, like if there have been cycles that have been over and over and over again, I think that only happens when we haven't fully repented. Because when we repent, we will be transformed. We will be changed. But this cycle of, oh, every few months I run into this, this weakness, or every few months I run into this thing, or every few months I have this, this struggle out of nowhere, and, and I don't know how to stop it. I confess, and I, like, I ask Jesus to forgive me, but that's not repentance either. Repentance isn't saying a prayer. It's not, oh, Jesus, forgive me for this sin. Repentance is I'm turning from this wickedness, calling it for what it is, and I'm running after you. And I'm replacing the way that I think about this thing with the way you think about it. And I'm exchanging my solutions for your solutions. And I'm exchanging me as the ruler of my life for you, Jesus, being the king and the ruler of my life. The world is needing the church to know how to repent so that it can be the beautiful, transformed, glorious, spotless bride who's not tripping in guilt and shame. But it's, with this, it's a spotless. It's clean because we took responsibility for the messes we created and we came to the Savior, the only one who can remove those things, the only one that can shift and change us. The world is looking for us to do this. You know, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, you know the story, we talk about it often. But David commits sin with Bathsheba. She's pregnant. He tries to cover up the sin. He gets Uriah murdered. And then he's living in the castle thinking he's covered up his mess, right? And Nathan comes in and tells him a story. You know, you probably have heard this many times. But he comes in and he says, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. There was a man who had one sheep and he loved it. He took care of it from when he was little. It was like his baby, like his own son or his daughter. And he took care of it. But then there was this wealthy man who had hundreds and thousands of sheep and had everything that he could ever want. But he wanted that one sheep from that man and he went and took it from him. And when David heard that, David remembered who he was. And David steps in and he says, Bring that man to me. I'm going to punish him. And Nathan pointed at him. And he says, you, you did this thing. And the Bible says that that David actually repented. He, He fell on his face and cried out to God. Yeah, he felt sorrow. He also turned and he also changed. He ripped his clothes. He went into to, to, uh, to, to worship before God and asked for God to cleanse him and not to take his Holy Spirit from him. Create in me a clean and a pure heart, O oh God. He wrote this beautiful psalm. And then Nathan says, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm sorry, but the son that, that, you're, that Bathsheba's pregnant with now isn't going to live. And he goes into fasting and prayer that the son would live. And he's like, who knows, maybe God will have mercy on me. But, but, the, but the son dies. And then when the son dies, David gets up and he eats. And his servants are like, what's wrong with you? 
When, when the, the baby was, there was still a chance that this child would live, you wouldn't eat. But now the child's dead and you're eating. He goes, I th- who knows, maybe God would have mercy and let the son live. But now that he's dead, I trust God. That's literally what he felt. I trust the Lord with this and I'm going to move on because this, this is right. This is right before God. And so David showed us what humility actually looks like, what repentance actually looked like. And it's a strange story. I don't know if that happened in the church world today, if it would turn out that way. That, that person would never have a place of leadership again. I'm not, I'm not telling the truth. That person would never see be a king again. Someone else would have to take his place. That person would never lead worship again. That person would never step on a stage or lead a Sunday school class or be, because that person can't be trusted. Like there's this thing. But what happens when people really repent is there's transformation that takes place. And as long as we allow a culture to have punishment as part of it, then people are going to be afraid to repent because they're afraid of the punishment. But if we can create a culture of repentance and grace that says, no, we're supposed to confess our sin. It is the will of God. It says confess your sin to each other because then we've got to find mercy And we need each other. That's why we're doing this men's group. Like we need to confess to each other and hold each other accountable and say, hey, you said that you were going to be this way and you're not being that way. So step up, man up. Let's let's hold each other accountable to a repentance lifestyle. You said you'd clean your mess up. Let's clean it up. There are stories in this book that you will love. Stories of what repentance looked like, how they walked repentance out. I encourage you to read it. It's unpunishable. Danny Silk. Stories of how they walked through this. I I grew up in a church culture where when anybody sinned or anyone messed up and people found out about it, there was such a level, there were degrees of punishment involved. And depending on the sin. And what happens when you have a culture that does that is over time, you don't tell anyone anything. And you hide who you really are. Because if someone really knows who I am, first of all, they're not going to like me very much because, you know, they're, they're going to look at me differently. Second of all, they're going to punish me for this thing. Because yeah. they wouldn't ever receive a prophetic word from me if they really knew what I said yesterday to that person on the road. <laughs> you're prophesying over me now, but you're cursing. You know, because we have this mindset of perfection and we have this mindset of, you know, the only way to get better is to be punished for it. But Jesus was punished. The lamb, the actual perfect sacrifice was punished for us. For everyone. Every sin, every weakness, Jesus took upon himself and he was punished for our peace. The punishment that brought us peace was on Jesus. And you and I think that we can punish ourselves into better living. Come on. We can't punish ourselves or anyone around us into better living. The only way for us to be better is to repent, is to feel godly sorrow, to turn to him and to change, change our thinking, change our behavior. Only Jesus can do that through us. Is this making any sense? I want you to know that we're not interested in punishing you. We're interested in people being transformed. 
And transformation can't happen without us ripping our chest open and letting people in and see us. I've shared this quite a few times, and, and it, it's a personal testimony. It's an ugly testimony that's beautiful now. But M Mandy and I, my wife and I, we have, we have had a rule for probably 10 or 12 years. No secrets. No secrets. If you think something really ridiculous and crazy, confess it. Let's talk it out. Let's share. Because you need to know what, what I'm thinking and what I'm going through. No secrets. Yeah, this is what I felt here. This is what I did. This is what I thought. This is where I was. No secrets, right? Both sides of this. No secrets. You know what that has done? There, there is a, there's a trust that comes. And you can't really be free in relationship unless both have the, have the ability to wound you. And so, along with marriage relationships and friendships, it's not a real intimate friendship unless you have the ability to wound me. It sounds scary and it sounds kind of crazy, and I know Brene Brown talks a lot about this vulnerability stuff. It's kind of gone off the rails a little bit. <laughs> Kyle's back there like, shoot me now. That was all the teaching and stuff at his, his corporate office back then. He's like, I've heard enough of this vulnerability stuff because it's ridiculous, some of it. But the core of it is true, that if... if if I don't know you enough to wound you and you don't know me enough to wound me, then we don't really have an intimate relationship. And the Lord wants us to have that in this culture, in this house. I'm not saying you have to have that with everyone in here, but you need to have it with your spouse. You need to have it with someone else. There needs to be a vulnerability. There needs to be an openness, uh, and a, a ripping open of, of our heart, saying, hey, here's where I'm at. Here are the, all the messes that I'm making right now, and I, I, here's how I'm going to clean them up. Amen? Why don't you stand? <clears throat> this is a way deeper, longer subject than we could take today. That's why I'm saying read the book. Go read the book. Spend time with the Lord. Let him develop this thought process through you. I don't want to just confess anymore. I want to be a transformed person. So I'd like for you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And we're going we're gonna to pray into this. You know, we've got a few months on that year-long to revivals here prophecy. And I can't help but think that repentance is right at the core of it has to be John the Baptist repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Jesus repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand repentance is at, at the core of the kingdom not confession repentance and so I'm going to ask for you to have a conversation with the Lord right now you just ask him Lord have I been confessing or repenting <laughs>
Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now. Search us. Search us. this well the thief comes to steal to kill to destroy right but Jesus came to give life so how does he steal kill destroy through our sin yeah. through our weakness right but repentance breaks the curse it breaks the cycle of, of wounding. It breaks the cycle of poverty. It breaks the cycle of wounds and sickness in our heart. It breaks the cycle of destruction in our life. Repentance does that. The curse of sin is broken when we repent. So I'm going to ask you to be brave. If you know there's there's an area, there's a thing that God has highlighted. Again, I, I this is this is my advice. You can take it or leave it, but I don't think it's wise for us to search and look for stuff in us. We ask the Holy Spirit to do that. So I don't search and try to find wrong things. I say, Holy Spirit, you search me and you highlight anything that's wrong, and then we'll deal with that thing. So don't look for a bunch of of ugliness because if we do that we'll all depress ourselves but Holy Spirit if you've highlighted something if he's highlighted something for you that you need to repent from I want you to come to the front this is an act of repentance it's an act of obedience you can kneel here you can stand here you can kneel at the chairs up front we're just asking you to make this bold declaration I, I'm changing I've felt the godly sorrow I'm turning from this thing to another thing and I'm going to see change today. Thank you. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> he says that when we repent and turn, the times of refreshing will come. Whew. Yes, Lord. Now, the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to be quiet. You're not here to confess. You're here to make Jesus the Lord that's what that's what the problem is the, the Jesus isn't Lord in this area so ask him to be the Lord of that area of your life if it's worry if it's fear it could be anything 
problem is he needs to be Lord. He needs to be the ruler. So as I'm gonna pray and again, I'll be quiet. Jesus, come be the ruler of our hearts. Come set your throne on the heart, on my heart, God. Be the ruler of our lives. I am not my own. We were bought with a price. We belong to you, Jesus. So we repent. For not letting you be Lord in every area. Yeah. And just, just seek him, okay? Just take your time. Don't be in a hurry.